You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Last week, the US Federal Reserve left interest rates unchanged in the United States of America and in what is seen by many as a U-turn, have said that they're not going to raise rates at all next year. What a change that is from around about three, four months ago. On the telephone now is Lee Adler. This is Lee Adler's liquidity trader, and it's proudly brought to you by sharenet.co.za. I'm looking at some of the headlines, Lee, and it says here, Fed is going to drive us into a recession, says Canaccord. Gnutis, it says. I don't know what that is. But anyway, Fed leaves interest rates unchanged, signals no increases this year. That's the second headline. The next one after that, US Fed said no interest rates hike this year. And that's from an organization called Money Talks. Now, did they buckle to pressure from the US president? Or is it genuinely data-dependent policy that they're indulging themselves in, Lee? Lindsay, you have to wonder, what does the Fed know Uh, what's going on that caused this uh, amazing about face from where they were three months ago when they were talking about everything being on autopilot, the U.S. economy looks great, uh, we're going to continue shrinking the balance sheet, we're going to continue raising interest rates, and nothing is going to change uh, if the stock market sells off a little bit unless there's uh, a, a softening, a severe softening of the economy. That's what they were saying three months ago. What happened? Yeah, what we happened? Don't, we don't know. The, the signs of economic softening, particularly in Europe, were around then. So you have to wonder if there is some kind of systemic distress that they're looking at. Uh, at the same time, the words have changed, and clearly those words have gotten a lot more dovish. But in actuality, that dovishness isn't bullish. And that's what I wrote about last week in my free thinking column on Wall Street Examiner. Dovish isn't necessarily bullish. Yeah, it's more dovish than they were, a lot more. But they haven't changed the facts of reducing the size of the balance sheet, pulling money out of the system yet. That's going to happen uh, over the next couple months, and then it's going to end in September. But in the meantime, they're going to go right along for another, what, six months doing what they've been doing. So um, it's it's an incoherent strategy to me. So what they're doing is that they're leaving interest rates unchanged, which is the right. sort of headline that people like myself look at and I say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's good. Interest rates are not going up in the States. But what they are doing, as you quite rightly point out, is continuing to adjust their balance sheet, which is probably more important when it comes to liquidity. Right. Now, they did say that they're going to uh, reduce the amounts each month that they're pulling out of the system by about 20 billion, I think, from we're going to bring it down from uh, 50 billion down to 30. But that's still a reduction. And uh, they're, they're not going to end it until September. Then in September, they're going to allow the balance sheet to remain level. They're not going to, they didn't say one word about doing QE. They didn't say one word about pumping more money into the system. They didn't say they're going to cut interest rates. Interest rates are a red herring to me, as you know. I'm more interested in the quantity of money, not the, not the cost. And, and um, for now, the next six months, they're still going to be pulling money out of the system. And I think that's a very bearish factor, um, especially in view of the size of the federal U.S. federal deficit and how much money 
that the federal government's going to be pulling out of the market with these debt sales every month. So it's still a very bearish situation uh, the way it looks to me. There's several things that have been screaming at me. The first thing was the US jobs numbers, the non-farm payrolls for the month of February, which came out a couple of weeks ago, which showed that the US economy only created 20,000 new jobs. And you can seasonally adjust and you can tweak them as much as you like, but 20,000 versus 200,000 that were expected is a really dramatic, dramatic fall, a really dramatic shift from what we've been used to, to that very, very small number indeed. And that says two things to me, either people just can't get jobs because jobs don't match vacancies, if you see what I mean, or it means that the US economy is, is slowing down. That's the first thing. The second thing is what's happening in Europe, because Germany has flagged that it's slowing down over the last six months. But the, the factory numbers that we saw a couple of days ago, on Friday, in fact, were really dramatically bad. And the other thing is, Lee, is the, the bond market. Suddenly you wake up and the bond yield in the, in the States is not 3.2%, it's 2.5%. Suddenly the bond yield on the 10-year note in Germany, the German Bund, is 0%. Again, we're back to where we were a year, year and a half ago. Right. Yeah, um, the uh, the drop in the 10-year in the U.S. is very interesting because uh, it came down to a very important support level on the chart at about 2.4%. There, there's a lot of evidence uh, in the way I look at technical analysis on the 10-year yield that suggests that we're very, very close to a bottom in the 10-year yield. You know, there's a lot of bullishness now on the on the. Uh, U.S. Treasury market, uh, a lot of commentators, a lot of talking heads, a lot of Wall Street types are saying, oh, the yields are going lower. But looking at it from the technical analysis perspective, I think at most there's another five or 10 basis points on the downside, and then it should reverse. So um, again, it's a supply issue. There's a tremendous amount of supply coming to market all the time, and there is not a lot of liquidity out there. This these rallies have been driven by debt, uh, by margin, by the use of repo borrowing, and the markets are very, very extended. I think they're in a very dangerous situation. As far as the employment data is concerned, I'm going to withhold judgment on that because the uh, I track the U.S. federal withholding tax data that uh, comes out on a daily basis. It's a real-time data, and so far... It's been very strong. So I, I have my doubts that anything significant happened in the job market. If you recall, just a, you know, a few months ago, we had a couple of blockbuster numbers on the upside that didn't look right to me at that time. And now we have this apparent collapse in the numbers. But if you average them out over several months, the trend hasn't changed. So, you know, again, I'll apply technical analysis to the jobs data, too, and I'll say, well, the trend is your friend. And, and yeah, there was a big drop in this month's number, but there's a lot of statistical manipulation that goes on. That, that drop may or may not be significant. At this point, the trend is still unbroken. So I, I'm skeptical about that big drop in the jobs data. I think the U.S. economy may still be stronger than people think it is. Yeah, we did have that GDP number, which Mr. Trump tweeted quite enthusiastically yesterday, and that was Friday, that is, and that was 3.1% for the year, I think it was, which right. is the best in 14 years. So yes, it is going along quite nicely. But on the other hand, that's, this is a retrospective number. We've got to look forward, not backwards. Right. And that's why I use the real-time tax data. Um, 
I haven't updated that for a couple of weeks, so I have to take a look at that and see if it's changed. But the last time I looked, it was, it was really strong. So, um, I, again, the economy is secondary. I'm mostly concerned about what has driven these rallies, and that has been leverage. And if you live by leverage, you die by leverage. We can't really quantify whether the market is grossly overextended, but we do know from certain data that comes from the Fed that there's been a lot of leverage that's been put to use to drive this rally in the stock market since Christmas Eve and, again, recently in the bond market. So uh, the dealers are very extended. They, the primary dealers have used a lot of debt to uh, to fund these, this rally and uh, other non-traditional buyers of stocks have also uh, piled on the debt. So I think that um, I'm going to stick with my original opinion that, you know, this rally is going to end badly. And um, I don't see a reason to change that opinion. No, especially after the action we saw on Friday. Friday now, yeah. uh, was it triple witching hour on Friday? I've just suddenly realized that the third Friday of the month in March, which is normally the, at the end of every quarter, actually, not just March, but also June, September, December quarters. The third Friday of March is always triple witching out in the United States. But the first Friday of March fell on the 1st of March this year. So it was the 1st, the 8th. The 15th should have been the triple witching hour then. It wasn't triple witching this week, was it, in the States? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an options expert. I'll, I'll, I, do, I do make... Uh, recommendations on options trades. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what was behind the sell-off. I don't know. Well, that's uh, the sell-off I was talking about, whether it was triple yeah. witching hour or whatever it was. We had our own triple witching hour on the JSC Securities Exchange in South Africa. Uh, that was on Wednesday, and that was a fairly limp affair. But what I read something about quadruple witching here uh, in the U.S. market. So there was another uh, option series, or I don't know what else it was, but uh, yeah, well, whatever it was, know, somebody, somebody woke up and said, "Wait a second, there's a dollar yen has broken one ten, and the yen is a safe haven play. The bond yields are are plunging worldwide. Germany and every other major economy's bonds are doing uh, doing badly when it comes to yields falling. If you think that is bad, and then suddenly the stock market traders, I said to somebody, "Well, what's next? Is it the is it the equity market? And the equity market, of course, immediately responded with the S&P falling nearly 2%. Quite a big move, 55 right. points, 55, 56 points in the S&P, 450 plus points on the Dow. It wasn't an insignificant day to me on Friday, and I'm a bit fearful for Monday. Uh, yeah, Monday's probably going to be soft, at least early. Um, again, there's no break in the trend. Uh, looking at the technical picture. Uh, it was a significant sell-off. It clearly broke the shortest term uptrend, a um, little bit of a top on the hourly chart uh, with a very weak right shoulder. So a down day on Monday would complete that. But there's some, so there's chart support around 27.75 and 27.70 on the S&P cash. So a little break of that early in the day that turns into a reversal, then we get some kind of a you know a weak bounce out of that. That could that could be a serious stop pattern developing. It's too early. I, I can't make a call on whether this is the top or not. I think that you know there, there's going to be some momentum that has to be worked off on the upside. Uh, the dip buyers are going to come in at some point. And but when we see a lower high, let's say that this 
high that we just had at 2860. If the if the next rally can't eclipse that or doesn't come close to that, batten down the hatches because I think the market's going to sell off in a very big way if that happens. And you're, you're almost implying that there will be another test of the 2860 or a failure at the 2860. Is there any chance that this time, this is the, the next eruption before the big blow-off? As I've always used the analogy of volcanoes, I've become a sort of amateur volcanologist, you know, that goes quiet for a while after an initial eruption, goes quiet again, and then eventually blows its top. Is the bear, I don't know. Is I, the bear market I, I, about to do it? Yeah, um... At 28, that, that's this little peak we had at 2860, uh, and then we turned around. That was that actually looked like a breakout, and and then we turned around the very next day, and that breakout failed. So whenever you get a false breakout, and it was a very significant trend channel too. It's a it was a trend channel that that goes back. Uh, I'd have to pull up my weekly chart here. I don't have it, but it goes back quite a ways. A very significant, what appeared to be a significant upside breakout immediately failed. And when that happens, that's a red flag that the trend is uh, potentially reversing. So we're, we're at an important inflection point here, and we'll take it day to day. I did have a uh, conditional put trade uh, recommended in um, my technical trader report uh, that actually triggered in the last five minutes of trading on Friday. Um, also, I had a call trade from the week before that got taken out. When uh, it, it, uh, a trailing stop was hit, we got it out of that with about a 65% profit. And then two days later, we got this conditional uh, triggered uh, put trade. So, you know, right now, my short-term position is bearish. Okay, your short-term position is bearish. But as yet, you don't see any major trend change, just short-term breaks of certain support lines. Yeah, I don't have, uh, I don't have that indication yet, but... Again, when you get a false breakout like what we had on Thursday and an immediate reversal, that's a huge red flag. So, uh, you know, we have our antenna up looking for additional confirmation that this thing is reversing. I think it's going to be several weeks before we know one way or the other. Um, if the market falls straight through 2770, uh, as I mentioned, there's the support of 2775, 2770. If, if we go straight through that this week, without so much as a buy your leave, then I think we have a potential crash set up. So that, that's something else I'm looking at. Keep an eye on this 2770 vicinity for keys to uh, what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's almost like a perfect storm coming up with the German data, the European data, Brexit, which is becoming more and more onerous for everybody. United States of America perhaps slowing down despite the really good GDP data, people going into safe havens, gold shares doing well, Japanese yen doing well, uh, China slowing down. So if you're a fundamentalist and not a chartist or a graphist, then you can say to yourself, I've got every single justification for following up on Friday's selling with a little bit more selling to come. And if people join me, then yeah, we could get the 20 percent that everyone has been talking about for several years now, Lee. Yeah, well, one thing's for sure in my mind, and that is this is not a buy and hold market. Um, it's, a, it's a market that can be traded. Uh, it's responding to the signals of technical analysis pretty well in the short run. But uh, the risks, both from a technical and liquidity perspective, and as you say, from a fundamental perspective, are tremendous. So I can't see any rationale to buy and hold stocks at this point. Lee, how do we follow your work? Remind us, please. Liquidity trader, Wall Street examiner, etc. Right. 
you can find my proprietary work at liquiditytrader.com and all the information about how to subscribe is right there on the site. And I do post a couple of uh, free articles a couple of times a week at wallstreetexaminer.com. Look forward to your work over the next couple of weeks because I think that the second quarter of 2019 is going to be a fairly frisky one. Lee Adler, thank you very much for your time. That was Lee Adler's Liquidity Trader. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.